You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com. Well, we are continuing our study of Romans, and uh, we are in Romans 12. And we're gonna, we did uh, two verses over the last two weeks. We're going to get crazy and do three verses today. Uh, as we uh, start to see the implications of what does it mean to live a life of worship. And if you'll recall in our first couple of weeks as we've looked at Romans 12, uh, Paul is setting things up to say, okay, so in light of the mercies of God, in light of all that he has done, in light of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, what is our response? And he says our reasonable worship, our spiritual worship is to to live your lives as living sacrifices. And this is what God calls us to do. We, there is no such thing as a half-hearted Christianity, a one foot in the world and one foot in the church. It, it is, is to be all in for Christ. And so as we consider that, we, 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 in verse 2, we say, well, then what, what is the knowledge of his will? How do we come to the knowledge of his will? It's by guarding ourselves against the thinking in this world and by being transformed by the renewing of our minds. And that is done through the scriptures and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is what we need if we are to be living lives that are good and acceptable and perfect before the Lord God. So he's set this up in verses one and two. And what we're going to see from now until, I don't know, I can't remember. I think it's like Easter, at least, anyways, until we get to the end of chapter 13. So we're going to be soaking in these two chapters for a while now. But what we're going to see is, first of all, so what does it look like to have a church that's following the will of God? That's going to be verses 3 to 8. What does that look like? We're going to be looking at that this week and next week. And then it's like, okay, well then, what, what should the characteristics be of the people of God? What should they look like as they interact with one another, as they interact with the world around them? What should be the characteristics of the people of God? As he continues on, he, he talks about, well, what, what is it, what is, how do we overcome evil? And we're going to see in verse 21 of chapter 12 that we overcome evil with good. And then we get to chapter 13, a very popular chapter of Romans over this last two years. What is the church's responsibility when it comes to the government? What does God say that a believer should do in regards to the response to the government? And then after we're done that, we'll see how we should live in light of Christ's return. So there's much to anticipate but we need to remember all those verses kind of fall under the grid of what does it mean to follow the will of God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And I think one of the things that we need to make sure that we're doing is guarding against the world in all of these things. If we are not guarding against the world in our understanding of these things, we will have a wrong understanding of the church We'll have a wrong understanding of how we should relate to the government, what our character should look like. There was a top 10 uh, list done by a group called Pew Research that talked about why is it that people go to church? Uh, Specifically, why would you attend a religious service at least once a month? 
Why would you do that? Here were the top 10 answers, the things that were very important. And I, again, as we think about verse 2, detesting and discerning, what, what are these would you say, actually, yeah, that actually is a biblical idea, a biblical reason to attend a service. And which of these are like, eh, that's not, that's actually not true. All right. So the first one, 81% of the people said to become closer to God. That's, is that a good reason to go to church? I'm seeing some nods. I think that's in the Bible. Yeah. Uh, two, so their children will have a moral foundation. 69% of people who were surveyed in this survey said they go to church so that their kids will have a moral foundation. I think you might know what my answer is to that one. Better though, what does the Bible say? To become a better person, 68% people said they go to church to become a better person. Four, for comfort in times of trouble or sorrow, 66% go to church for that reason. Five, uh, number five, the people said that they find sermons valuable. 59% of people say that by going to church, they find sermons valuable. Six said to be a part of a faith community. 57% of people said that that's why they go to church, to be part of a faith community. Seven, uh, some said to continue their family's religious traditions. 37%. Mom and dad went, so I guess we go. That's just how, we, that's how it goes. Uh, number eight, some people, uh, 31%, this is interesting, said they feel obligated to go. Right? Those are happy people to be around at church. Okay? They feel obligated to go. Nine, uh, to meet new people or socialize. 19% of people go to church to meet people or socialize. And then uh, the last one, to please their family, spouse, or partner. 16% of people show up to church because they're just trying to please a family member. So, any of those biblical? Yeah, there's some biblical things there, some, some good reasons that people would uh, go to church, and then there are some that are just not good. And I think uh, we need to evaluate this morning, do I have a biblical understanding of the church and my place in it? That's what we're starting with this week as we look at verses 3 to 5. Do I have a biblical understanding of, of how does a person get into the church? Do, do I have a biblical understanding of my role in the church? Do I have a biblical understanding of how it's all supposed to work, how we're supposed to relate to one another? Or have I adopted worldly thinking? And so I want us to be asking the Lord to help us discern that uh, as we look at the word now. Before we do, let me pray for us and then we'll, then we'll study. God, we thank you so much for a new day. Every day is a gift from you, God. Lord, as we think about gifts, we we're mindful of the fact that um, the body of Christ, the church, is a gift. God, we pray that you would help us to understand what your will is for the church. God, we would be quick to admit that we can easily begin to think about things in a worldly manner. And so over the weeks to come, God, would you transform our thinking? Would you help us to have your mind? Would you help us to know your will in regards to, first of all, this week, to your church? God, if there be sin in us, help us to repent. 
God, if there is faulty thinking, again, help us to repent and help us to view ourselves and your church in a way that would bring you honor and glory. God, we pray now that you would uh, fill this preacher with your spirit and that the things that he would say would be for your glory and for your honor and that we would all leave here knowing and loving you better. It's your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so everyone needs uh, a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, go ahead and slip up your hand uh, this morning, and we will look at Romans chapter 12, verses 3 to 5. But in, it's so that we might have context here, I want us to look at verses 1 through 8. All right, so we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 8, and let's look down together at the Scriptures. And it says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, But to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in a proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And so we see at the end there, six through eight, the gifts that are given, but we want to set up first in verses uh, three through five, we want to see what, what is it that we're to think in regards to the church. Again, what is, what is the will of God for his church? What, what it would it look like for his people to worship him in their gathering? And what is a good and acceptable church? Three things that we're going to see this morning. A, a church that is good and acceptable to God begins with understanding the perilous problem of pride. If we're going to be a church that brings glory to God, we need to understand the perilous problem of pride. Again, look at verse 3. It says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Now, Again, I want us to stop and think about what's the world's message versus the word's message. The world's message is what? Think highly of yourself. And everything that we're told in these days, especially in these last 20, 30 years, we're we're told over and over again that we have to have a high view of self. We're told things like, you can do anything you put your mind to. Is that a true statement? I mean, could I be a NFL lineman? Do I look like I have the body that could become an NFL lineman, right? Like that's never in my future, nor was it in my past. It wouldn't have mattered at 18 years old if I would have, you know, done the steroids or whatever I needed to do to get a body that was huge. It still wouldn't have worked, 
right? I didn't have it in me. So to say that I could be anything I want to be is actually a lie. What about a rocket scientist? Could I do that? No, I could not do that. I do not have a brain that computes that way. If the girls have had questions about science in their high school curriculum, they do not come to me. And, you know, Heather would be like, well, can you just help them? No, I can't. I'm not making this up, right? I'm not, you know, like I literally have no idea what that question is or how to answer it. I could not, no, no matter how long I studied, I, I, I could never be a rocket scientist. It's a lie to say that you can be whatever you want to be. What about the phrase, I just need to believe in myself, right? Mike, you just need to believe in yourself, okay? You just need to believe in yourself. Well, what does that, what's the foundation there? Well, basically, I'm a good person. I have a lot of positive energy. I think that's one of the words that gets used a lot of times, right? I have a lot of positive energy. I, I just believe in myself, then, then good things will happen. Well, I want you to understand that from a biblical point of view, you are not good. You're sinful. That if you believe in yourself, all you're doing is feeding the me monster, which we don't want to do. Feeding our pride, feeding, feeding ourselves. What we need to believe in rather is Jesus Christ. We need to believe in him and what he says about us. That's a perspective that God would have us have from his word. Under the category of having a high view of self, we would also have this phrase, when I love myself, I permit others to love me too. How many times have you heard, you just need to love yourself? Just love yourself. What does the Bible say? The Bible says you do love yourself. Every single one of us love ourselves. Some really well, right? <laughs> I'm amazing. Just ask me. I'll tell you, right? We know those folks, right? They kind of walk around, you know, like, whew, like <laughs> I don't know if there is anyone better than me, right? Like that's just their kind of demeanor, like no need there. But then there's the other side, you know, of Eeyore kind of walking around, you know, and, oh, you know, I, I just wish I... Look like him, you know, he's, you know, he's just huge, you know, and I, I can barely lift this Bible, you know. I just wish I was as smart as that person. I just wish I had the talent that they had, the gifts that they have. That's all fed, fed by what? Self-love. Self-love. I, I'm not getting, I deserve what they have, actually is what I'm saying. I, I, I know me, I'm great, and, I, and I, I should have what they have, but I don't have what they have, and so I hate myself. That's just envy and jealousy is what the Bible calls it, dressed up. We all love ourselves. The question is, do we have a biblical view of ourselves? Another thing that gets said by the world I am my own best friend. That actually was new for me this week. I don't know if you heard that one. I am my own best friend. Uh, that's not great either, okay? 
Jesus is your best friend. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all else. So if I'm my own best friend, I'm going to have a really skewed view of who I am. I need Christ to shine light on who I really am. And this is what it says in Romans 12, too. I need a transformed mind. I, I need my mind renewed about who I really am. And if I don't have that, I will fall into pride over and over and over again. The world and my flesh, they, they say to have a high view of myself, but the scriptures here, it says, do not have a high view of yourself. In fact, what did it say? More highly than he ought to think. I need a biblical view of who I truly am. So, how do I get that? How do I have an accurate view of myself? Well, it begins with me becoming humble. Not until I am humble will I have an accurate view of myself. And that humility that is needed for the first step is for me to recognize that I am a sinner. That's the first thing I need to do. I need to recognize that I'm a sinner. Not, not in this sense, like, oh, I'm, I, I, yeah, okay, okay. I, I'm just like everybody else. We all have sin and, you know, not that kind of demeaning, but the, the, the kind of conviction that says, I have sinned against a holy God and I deserve to be punished. I deserve death. I understand what his word says and I understand that when I sin, I sin against him first and foremost. And when I do that, I have broken his law and his law says that I must then be punished. But I'm praying that as you feel that, as you, as you went through that, that, then you've seen the hope that is in Jesus Christ. That you've seen that out of the tender mercy of God, Christ was sent to live a perfect life for you. And as he lived the perfect life, he then went to the cross. And at the cross, he set aside perfection and took on your sin and the sins of the world and then the wrath of God was poured on him. And as the wrath was poured out on him, Christ's punishment that was due for me, sorry, God's punishment that was due for me was put on Christ. And he says that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. And so instead of having my sin and carrying around in the punishment, instead he's given me his righteousness. But I cannot have an understanding of who I truly am until I first do that, until I repent of my sin. You think about a world who is severely mixed up in who we are, probably never more so than we are today. The only solution is to have a biblical understanding of who we are. That begins with understanding I'm a sinner in need of a savior. And then, once I have that, then I am able to live a life of worship. And my next step then is to what? Is to follow Jesus. 
And as I think about following Jesus, I think about his example that he set before us. We read this in Philippians 2, 5 through 7. It says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality uh, with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being being born in the likeness of men. If we are to follow Christ, we need to walk in humility. The, the thing that should mark every true believer is a life of humility. It was interesting, a couple of weeks ago in our, in our leadership time, we're talking about what, 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 who is someone that you have looked up to? Who is someone that you, you, you could say, that's a godly man. I want to follow him. And over and over and over again, the, the common characteristic of the, the guy said about the one whom they really admired was humility. Humility. This should be the marks of his people. If we are to be a church who's going to bring glory and honor to him, it starts with humility. Of course, Paul models this himself. He says, for by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, to everyone among you, For by the grace given to me. Paul is an apostle. Do we understand that? Paul, what could he have done? You say, do you have any idea my conversion story? Like, incredible. I'm walking on the road to Damascus and there's this bright light and Jesus himself says, why are you persecuting me? That's my conversion story. And then after that, he said, you're going to be an apostle to the Gentiles. And I've been doing it. I've been going from city to city to city. Churches are being planted all over the known world. I don't know when I'm going to end. You know, I'm on my way to Rome. I'm, I'm hoping to get to Spain. I'm really quite incredible. So listen to what I'm telling you. I'm the apostle. I'm the apostle to the Gentiles. Listen to me. Not unlike maybe some evangelical leaders we know of today. He doesn't say that. For by the grace given to me. Doesn't talk about being in the third heaven. Doesn't talk about any of his resume. He simply says, for by the grace given to me. I I don't even know why he did it, but he did it. And for by the grace given to me, since I'm an apostle, I have something to say to everyone among you. It's interesting that he's emphasizing what? Grace. Grace. Grace that it's been given to him. And as he goes through these verses, he's going to be talking about the fact that you have been given grace. You've been given a responsibility in the church. And note that he says to everyone among you. That leaves what? (laughs) Is there anyone that's excluded from what he's about to say. No one, every, everyone is involved here. Doesn't matter in this case if you're a Jew or a Gentile, super Christian, weak Christian, whatever you're, everyone among you. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, this is what you must know, what he is about to say. Before we get to that, I think it's interesting. We think about the servants of God, because of course Christ walked as a servant. Paul, he's exemplifying um, Walking in humility here. But you know who else walks in humility? 
The angels. The angels. Anyone think that the angels maybe are a little bit higher than you or I? Okay, Hebrews tells us, yeah, that's true, just in case we're not sure about that. Right? They are. And yet, it says in Revelation 19.10, John, he's, he's just seen these amazing revelations of, of the marriage supper of the Lamb coming. It's going to be this awesome day. That's in your future. I hope you remember that. And, and, and John is just overwhelmed. And he says in verse 10 that he fell down at, at the angel's feet to worship him. But the angel said to him, now listen what he says, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What an awesome thought. The angel saying, I'm just, I'm like one of you. I'm just another servant. And so it should be in the, the church of Christ. Every one of us should say, I'm just another fellow servant. Nobody prideful, I will look at the gift I have versus your gift. Listen to my testimony versus your testimony. I mean, how many churches have been destroyed because of pride? Many churches have been destroyed because of pride. So we must Walk in humility, and that begins by you not thinking more highly of yourself than you ought. Why does he have to say that? Because we're all tempted to do it. Every single one of us are tempted to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. By God's grace, may we see ourselves the way we ought to. Well, First, we need to be aware of the perilous problem of pride if we're going to have a, be a church that is good and acceptable to God. The next thing that we need is uh, an understanding that the sober standard of Scripture, a church that is good and acceptable to God, begins with understanding the sobering standard of Scripture. What is the sobering standard of Scripture? As I've already been saying, it is the Scripture that helps us to understand who we are. It's the great equalizer. It, it helps us to remember right off the beginning that all of us have sinned and are fallen short of the glory of God. There's nobody that doesn't have that story. We've all sinned. When we think about seeing ourselves with sober judgment, it is to see yourself accurately, realistically. You think about the, the opposite of sober, drunk. How many people have not seen things realistically? because of alcohol, because of, because of being in a drunken manner, not seeing things accurately. And so to think of yourself soberly is to think of yourself in the way that God thinks of you, to think of yourself accurately. And there's no better way to understand who you are than the scriptures. And so again, I want to just reemphasize what we emphasized last week. We must be people of the word. We must be people who are saturating, immersing ourselves in the Word of God. If we're going to have a proper view of ourselves, if we're going to view ourselves with a sober judgment. As we think about the Scriptures to begin with, we, we realize that God is great. And that's really important. That's the beginning to understand His greatness, His, His, uh, His worth. And then to see ourselves in light of him and how we're called to be servants. To see and be reminded of the incredible mercies towards you. 
anyone feels unloved as a believer, you need to go back to the cross and be reminded that you have been loved incredibly by an awesome Savior. And when we, we begin to, to doubt our worth, as, as, as we might do, then we need, again just need to be reminded what, what God did in order for that I might be reconciled to him. Again and again, it's about going back to the cross. When I start feeling puffed up, again, I go back to the Bible to be reminded of my lowly estate before him. Do you have an accurate view of yourself? In light of the first 11 chapters, Paul might be writing this again because of this Jew-Gentile thing, right? As we went through those chapters, we've seen a little bit of this like, well, I'm a Jew. Look how great I am. And then the Gentiles saying, well, look how great we are because he's dismissed you. And he's saying, no, we're all one in him. Again, I think that we can, for being honest, we can slip easily into comparing ourselves to one another. And somehow thinking that we're, okay, I'm better than these, but maybe not better than those. And that ought not, not ever, never be. I was thinking even in regards to the Dante's baptism this morning. Like how even we can, we can kind of rate our testimony stories, right? You, you could think, well, well, I don't, I don't really have a good testimony because like, you know, I grew up in the church and... I don't really remember a time when I didn't love Jesus, and so I guess I don't have much of a testimony. Really? Like, that's an incredible testimony. Are you kidding me? God saved you from a life of misery and turmoil and regret? Like, that's incredible, right? Or, I have an incredible testimony. You know, I shot 10 people. I, you know, I I was in prison, and, you know, and then, like, there was this light and I just, can't, you know, like both miracle stories, every single one a miracle story and has nothing to do with the individual and everything to do with the God who saved them. And so, so again, the, the, the level, we have a level playing field when it comes to our salvation. Every one of us should understand that. And so in order to have proper judgment, we must think according to the word of God. And then he says that we also must think according to the measure of faith that has been assigned to us. To, to think according to the measure of faith that has been assigned to us. Now there's only been about a million pages written on this because there is a little bit of like what? what? The measure of faith. What, what is he talking about? And there's really two camps, and both are good. Like, there's not, like, this is the bad one, and this is the good one. There, it's, it's, there's a wrestling going on, because what does measure mean? What, what does the word mean? And this is where the, the difference comes in your translation. The Greek word is metron. And metron can either mean a means, or sorry, sorry, it can mean either a measurement or a standard. So if it means according to the standard of faith you've been given versus the measure of faith that you've been given, you could see how it changes the translation here. So if it's the standard of our faith, it's what I've been talking about so far this morning. 
and understand that it is by Christ that we are all saved, every single one of us. It is by that standard which we are saved. So when we consider ourselves in the body of Christ, we see that we have equal, it's an equal playing field, that we, that we are all saved through him. But then this idea of a measuring of our faith is not anti-biblical either. It reminds us of passages like 1 Corinthians 12, 4 to 7. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 to 7 says this, Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And so in this understanding, it is that all of us are gifted differently. God has assigned to us different gifts for the body of Christ, but it is the same God who empowers every single person. Now, me personally, in light of the context that we're going to see in verses 4 and 5, I do believe that it is the second that God has gifted us all differently, but the important thing for us to remember is there is not this is this gift and this is this gift here and, you know, that, there, that is all equal because God is the one who's given the gift. Whether it's through salvation, the first translation, uh, sorry, the first meaning behind this, that, that God has saved everyone in the same way through Christ, or whether it is in the giving of gifts, the reality is it's both from God. And so the understand, what we should understand here is that, again, it's an equal playing field. There's no reason for pride in the body of Christ. Maybe just one more word in that regard. Not only does God gift us in the body of Christ, but that reminder that he gifts us should, should in, encourage us that he's given us everything that we need to serve. Looking around at you this morning, if you are in Christ Jesus this morning, you have a gift. Does everyone know that? It's an automatic thing. It's like you don't have to go and stand in a line somewhere to get it, right? You come to faith in him, and then he bestows upon you the Holy Spirit, and then gifts you in a particular way for the sake of the body of Christ. And so you should be using that for his glory, for his honor. MacArthur puts it like this. Our Heavenly Father does not burden us with gifts for which he does not provide every spiritual, intellectual, physical, and emotional resource we need to successfully exercise them. Every single person here has a an important part to play in the body of Christ. Every single one of us. And when we use the gift that he's given us, he empowers that gift, and it's a supernatural thing. It's not a natural thing. This gathering is not a natural thing. It's a supernatural thing, and we need to understand that. Or even every time someone gets baptized, I just tell them, look, anything that God tells you to do, he's going to empower you to do it. I get it. Like, not many of us, I'm in, myself included, like to get up in front of people, okay? That's for another story about gifting. Maybe that'll come up next week. But, like, I, 
That's not my natural bent to get up. But when God calls us to do something, he also and then empowers you to do it. So if you're fearful here this morning, maybe this is a word to you this morning. If you're fearful about baptism, trust God. He's called you to do it. Take the step of faith. He, I, I've yet to see him fail someone. Every time you get into that tank and it's like, and they was like, I don't know what happened. It just, I just had a peace and, you know, I felt a power and God does that. God does that. He equips us. So, so it is in the body of Christ. However you're gifted, God gives you the strength and the power to use the gift that he's given you. The question this morning is, are you using it? Are you using it? Which leads us to our last point here. A church that is good and acceptable to God begins with understanding the gracious gift of God. Every one of us need to understand the gracious gift of God. Again, note it says, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Those last four words are sobering. That God has assigned. God has given you a gift. Maybe gifts. And he expects that you'll use them for his glory and for the strengthening of the body of Christ. It's not optional. God is the one who's assigned it. And if any one of us be like, well, I wish I was a preacher or I wish I was the worship leader or I wish and if God hasn't gifted you that way, praise him. He's gifted you some way different and he wants you to use that gift for the strengthening of the church. We're going to, next week, we're going to be looking at some of the different ways that he gifts us. But it's not an option to say, well, he didn't assign me one. That would be contrary to what the word of God says. He has gifted you in a particular way and it is your job, it is your responsibility, really it is your privilege to use whatever that gift is for the strengthening of the body of Christ. Note, he says, not all gifts are the same. This is what I've been saying, verse 4. For as in one body we, may, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. Think about the physical body, the passage that was read earlier. earlier. There, there, there isn't, we're just not one big hand, Right? We have a, a body that is made up of many different parts. Incredible. Incredible. As, as, as science progresses, they're, they're just finding more and more wonder, not less, about how the body is put together. It is an incredible thing. But there is not just one organ, right? There's not, there's not just one hand. I mean, it's, it's, it's all put together. There is, what Paul's trying to stress here, there is diversity in the body of Christ and there is unity in the body of Christ. We are one in him. Incredible. I look around, you don't look the same. You don't look the same. You don't have the same ethnic background. You don't have, you're not the same age. You don't, you're not from the same country necessarily, right? Like everyone has come from somewhere different, but we are one in Christ. 
When you're one in Christ, it doesn't matter whether you, you're, you're with someone for the first time or whether you're getting together with him for the 5,000th time. There's this bond that we have in him that's just automatic. And we are one in him. It's a, it's a, it's, you, the only way you can say is a, is a God thing. It's supernatural. Not, nothing else unites people in this way. And Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, said, a foot shouldn't stop being, or shouldn't, shouldn't say it's not part of the body if it's not a hand, and the, the ear shouldn't say it's not part of the body because it's not an eye. How ridiculous would that be? And we, we, we see that easily when we talk about the physical body, but what about the spiritual body? Are you envious or jealous of the gifts that others have in the church? Repent of that. Repent of that and be thankful and, 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 and embrace however God has gifted you for the sake of the body of Christ. It's the King of kings and Lord of lords who's placed you in the role that you're in. Be like, okay, praise God. This is who I am. Having a sober judgment about who you are. Not everyone's called to be a preacher. Not everyone's called to be a counselor. Not everyone is called to be a worship leader. Not, not everyone's called to be a teacher. There's, there's all kinds of gifts in the body of Christ. And we've read them earlier, some of the different ones there. But, but what's yours? How are you using it? He says in verse 5, So we, though many, are one in the body of Christ. And individually members one of another. Every single believer is in the body of Christ. Well, I, I, I don't go to church. Well, you are the church. If you are in Christ, you are the church. We are, and in this idea of church, ecclesia is to gather together. So if you're by yourself, you're not functioning the way you ought to be functioning. How can a heart exist apart from a body? It can't. We, we, we gather together. We must gather together. I've yet to see a Christian doing their own thing and doing well. They don't exist. We need each other. The Bible is clear on this. We are one in him. We're many, but we're one body in Christ and individual members of it. Your membership into the body of Christ, is it free? It's not. It cost Christ his life. His blood was shed for your membership into the body of Christ. You think about Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives how? As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Christ has died sacrificially for this gathering, for this body. And we need to have a high view of the church. Would you say that's consistent amongst, amongst believers in our day? Everyone has a high view of the church? No, they do not. You do not have a high view of the church. Churches, eh, if I want to go, maybe I'll go, whatever. I think they know who I am at that 
you know, church. I think they, you know, we show up there every now and then. Like that's not, we don't see that anywhere in the Bible. And it's a massive problem in our country today. When you become a member through the blood of Christ, then you are to function amongst the body of Christ. Every single one of us. Riding the pine, riding the bench, right? That's not, a, that's not in the job description of a believer. We must serve one another just as Christ has served us by coming and dying for us. Part of no longer being conformed to this world is becoming a servant of his church for his glory. That's what it means to become a person who is bringing glory and honor to him through this gathering together. You use the gifts that he's given to you. And what's incredible about that, as you do that, it transforms you. When you step out in faith and use the gifts that God's given you, you grow in your love of him. You grow in your knowledge of him. You, you, you grow in your understanding of, of, of the body of Christ. When you, it's pretty hard to understand and experience it if you're just sitting at home by yourself. And so you, you grow to appreciate this body of Christ. You become burdened for the things that Christ is burdened for because you're with his people. You see the hurts, you hear the hurts, you, you pray for the struggles, you, you come along and you spur one another on, you encourage one another. And you're part of the sanctification process, not only in your own life, but in the life of others. This is God's desire for his people. When we don't, when we're not part of a body of Christ, when we don't use the gifts that we're called to, we actually weaken the body of Christ. Do you know that? The body of Christ becomes sickly when we don't use the gifts that God's given us. No different than your physical body gets sick if, it's, if the parts are not working as they should. 1 Peter 4.10 says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. As each has received a gift. It's not if, it's you each have received a gift. Use it, how? To serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Isn't that a great way of putting it? God's stewards of varied grace. Not everyone has the same gift. We've all been gifted differently, but use the gifts for God's glory. As we start to wind things down here this morning, that Pew Research also gave a top 10 reasons people don't go to church. Let's look at the list. We're only going to look at nine, but some people say this, and you want, again, I want you to think about it. Are these good reasons to not go to church, not to be a part of a body of Christ? Some say they practice their faith in other ways. Like What? I'm a part of a body, but I practice by myself. I, 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 I live my own beat, my own drum. I, you know, I listen to MacArthur on Tuesdays. I'm good. I got a worship CD. 
I'm doing great. I don't need to be part of the body of Christ. Eh, that's not true. Okay, so not lie. Okay, second, this is actually a good reason. They're not believers. <laughs> okay, yeah, why would you go to church? Why would you part of, be a part of the body of Christ if you're not a believer? Now, if you're not a believer here today, I'm still thankful that you're here, and I'm hoping that you're here in the gospel, and that one day soon you will become a part of the body of Christ. But simply going to a church doesn't make you a part of the body of Christ. We understand that. The only way to be a part of the body of Christ is through Christ. So if you're not a believer, yeah, that makes sense not to go. Um, some say there is no reason that it's very important as to why I don't go to church. This person is like, eh, church smirch, you know, whatever. I, I'm sure it's fine that I don't go. I mean, every now and then I read my Bible. I'm good. Don't need it. That's a lie. How, how, how can you grow unless you're a part of the body? You need the body of Christ. Some say this, they haven't found a, a house of worship they like. Okay, well, then keep looking until you do. But make sure you have biblical criteria as to what you're looking for, right? Yeah, the... You know, the, the worship team just seemed a little off, you know? Like, you know, they, they just weren't hitting the right notes for me. I, you know, I just, you know, the pastor, he was a little long-winded and just, you know, you know, I don't know, you know. Like, what are you looking for? Are, are you looking for a church that, that lifts the name of Jesus high? Are you looking for a church that this is their authority and where the body of Christ is working together? If that's what you're looking for and you haven't found it, then yes, keep looking. But make sure you're looking for the right thing. Another thing that, that people have said is um, they don't like the sermons. Well, I'm offended. Okay, again, what's your criteria? Your criteria is if, and again, I'm thinking about small towns. I mean, if there's like two evangelical churches in town, you don't have a lot of options. If the preacher is new, and he's just what, you know, what behind the ear, he's just out of college, and he's kind of, he's wrestling through the text, but he's wrestling through the text, then be gracious. And you go to that church. If they're preaching the word, then you go there. You don't sit at home and watch MacArthur. We'll just keep using MacArthur as the example, right? Don't do that. You, you, you go and be a part of that body of Christ. And if you're like, you know, that was a, a nice snack. I need a little bit more. Then, okay, sure. You go listen to another sermon if you feel like you need a little bit more to be fed. But you become a part of that body and you use your gifts to strengthen and encourage that body. And some say, they don't feel welcome. Well, that's sad. And I get it. One of the things I did before we planted this church is I went and just visited a bunch of different churches. And I did my best. I'm lost. I don't know what to do look when I would go, right? Stand in the foyer, like, you know, like, looking around, you know. And yeah, a lot of times nobody would come over. Nobody would. That's sad. But if you can't find a church that's friendly, then you make that church friendly by going in and you be friendly and you introduce yourself to others until they start catching on that maybe that's something they should be doing as well and you change the culture of that church. 
Other people say they don't have time. Let me say this bluntly. You don't have time not to be in church. In like three seconds, we're going to stand before the King of kings and Lord of lords and give an account of ourselves. And he's given this gift to us called the body of Christ. And we must gather. We must spur one another on. And so you don't have time not to be in church. Some say they can't be there because of poor health or mobility. If you're joining us online today and that's you, then I want to just encourage you, let us know that you're there so that we can come alongside you. Maybe you can't leave home, then let us come and be alongside you and encourage you. That's what the body of Christ ought to do. And then others say there is no house of worship in their area. Well, that's why we do church planning. Right? That's why we're passionate about that. We want to see as many churches planted as possible. But even in that situation, I'm sure there's another believer in your town. Then you seek them out and you get together and you start praying that God would bring enough people together that you could become a local body together. And you keep praying and you keep praying. So that what? So that you might have influence on that town, that city, for the name of Christ. There is no excuse not to be a part of the body of Christ. MacArthur puts it bluntly, the passage utterly destroys the notion that a Christian can be committed to Christ and and not be active in his service. That he can love the Lord but not obey the Lord. That he can be surrendered to the Lord but not minister for the Lord. True worship cannot be divorced from service. So it is something that God calls all of us And again, I think about maybe some who are watching this morning, you've been hurt by the church. And again, I'm sorry that that's happened to you. But I would plead with you to ask for healing, ask for God to help you forgive. If there's anything that you need to do to try to amend those relationships, you do that. But then you find a body of Christ to be used in. And, and that's what God would have for you, to see what his next assignment is for you. God, you, you've given me a gift. You've assigned me a gift. Lord, help me to use it in your body. So if we are to be a church that is good and acceptable to God, it begins with understanding the perilous problem of pride, the sobering standard of Scripture, and the gracious gift of God. It is a gift. I hope that we understand that. It is a gift to be a part of the body of Christ. And if you're in Christ today, then you are a part of this body. And some will gather at Calvary Grace today, right? Some will gather in another church over here and over there, right? That, that's what we do. We gather in local bodies, but we must gather for the sake of his kingdom. And so as we close this morning, just think about these three questions. Do you see yourself rightly in the body of Christ? Are you humble? Are you just thankful for everything that he's given you? Do you understand the gifts that he's given you so that you might serve him? How committed are you to your brothers and sisters in Christ? And then lastly, is it your heart's desire to serve Christ's church wholeheartedly with the gifts that he's given you? that you could say yes. Let me pray. God, we thank you so much for this gathering together this morning. We thank you for the gift of the body of Christ. 
Lord, we know that we're not alone in this world. Lord, you've given us one another. Lord, you've given us your spirit to lead us, to guide us, to empower us, to gift us. Lord, that we might be used for the equipping of this body, for the strengthening of this body. God, we pray for health in this local body. God, would you help us to to use the gifts and abilities, Lord, that you've given us for your glory, for your honor. Lord, may this be a place of humility. What do we have that you have not given it to us? Lord, thank you. And Lord, I would pray this this morning, if there's someone here who does not know you, God, would you open their eyes to see that today, if they would just humble themselves. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. For more information about our church, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com.